All right, so how many of you guys did Easter baskets this morning? Anybody? All right, last service, I had to run to the restroom during the service. I heard a teacher ask, what is Easter all about? And one of the kids screamed, Easter basket. <laughs> so, so like, look, uh, let's be honest, you know, as kids, you know, I remember growing up, and uh, that was one of a uh, fun memory about Easter, and it was always filled with a variety of treats and candies and maybe some little toys. And while grateful for all that, I personally think that Easter candy is a little bit shady. Anybody else? They, they take like normal candy and do weird things to it, you know? So, so let's take um, a couple examples. Um, peeps. All right. Uh, anybody? All right, let's do an official third service uh, uh, survey, okay? If you love peeps, raise your hand, all right? Raise your hand. All right, all right a couple of you, okay. I will say we had more in the other services, but okay, uh, if you hate peeps, raise your hand. Man, yeah, peeps are one of those things. You love them or you hate them. There's not a whole lot in between. The per I personally think that the way that you eat peeps is you throw them in the trash, okay? Uh, but for you peeps, the microwave... Yeah, I, still, yeah, still. Um, that, that would, you got to clean that mess up. So I'll come over and use your microwave. Um, all right, now, for you peep lovers, you know they have peep uh, coffee creamer. Did y'all see that? It just came out, so. All right. Um, let's see. How about Cadbury eggs? Which one? The regular Cadbury eggs, the regular ones. So, so all right, raise your hand. Do you love them? All right, a couple of people, all right, all right, just a few of you, all right, raise your hand if you hate them. All right, so, so here, here's my gig about, about Cadbury eggs. They're big, right? So whatever's inside that has to be delicious. What is that goop, the massive wad of goop that's in there? I don't know what it is. Uh, yeah, so, so can't get behind that, you know, personally can't get behind that. Now, I will say the chocolate-filled ones, the caramel ones even, I, I'm about those, you know. So I'm all about uh, those things. Now... The next one, I don't hate, okay, as much as it just brings me much disappointment, okay? You ready for this? I actually have one here. The, you know what I'm talking about? Has this ever brought you disappointment? The hollow Easter bunny? So much so, now they have to advertise as hollow. I, I imagine years ago, someone bought it and a kid lost their mind because it's hollow. So now they have, to, they, they have to say, hey, you are actually indeed buying a hollow Easter bunny. Now, there's a, there's a Christian version of this. You know what that is? The hollow cross, right? So may have received a few of those in my day too. The hollow cross. So let's take this puppy out um, because, yeah. Mm. Can we get one of those communion trays back? <laughs> so, look, the box actually says, do not eat the ribbon. Okay? So, I'm sure someone's probably tried that before. But now, now the hollow bunny, like, like it, when it, it looks good, right? It looks magnificent. It's delicious. It's huge. It's huge. And uh, it's, it looks like this huge mass of solid chocolate. But what you end up with is this thin little crispy shell of not as good chocolate, right? I mean, we can agree on that. And so uh, 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 this thing is hollow. Listen, listen, you ready? That's hollow. I mean, that, that there is a hollow um, bunny. You know, I get it. You know, they save money. 
if that were a solid chocolate bunny, that would cost a whole lot more to make, and they figure out a way they can make this shell, they can make a whole lot more money, and we, the consumer, still see the product. It looks amazing, and it looks really good in Easter basket, so I'm going to get that, and uh, yeah, we are good to go, right? Now, the only thing I can think of that would make this worse is if you were to fill this with Cadbury goop, okay? <laughs> but uh, other, other than that, you know, this... Not bad in itself, but just a disappointment. Just a disappointment. You know, we feel when, when something's hollow that we think that should be filled, we feel duped, you know? We feel duped. And so maybe, just maybe, this bunny is a metaphor for our life, okay? Like, it, we, build, uh, we build it to look the part, you know? We take care of all the details down to uh, uh, everything on the outside to make things look just right on the outside. But we know on the inside, there's something really important missing at our core. I mean, you think about it. We, we check all the boxes. We, we try to impress people. Even people that we don't care about, we try to impress. We, we want to uh, uh, do the things that we think we should be doing that our culture tells us at a certain age or, or by the people around us. And, and uh, uh, we try our hardest to make things right on the outside. But oftentimes we find on the inside, it's hollow. It's hollow. And what happens is with our life is we end up feeling we feel duped, you know? We feel duped. We feel um, duped by the Joneses, you know? We've been spending our lives trying to keep up with these folks. Who are they? And we, we're, uh, we're trying to keep up with them, you know? Uh, we feel, feel duped by things like the housing industry. We feel duped by our neighbors, or, or we feel duped by the government, or, or by social media. All these things around us are, seem to be promising us things, but at the end of the day, man, it's not solid. It's hollow. So here we are on Easter 2019, and maybe you know what it's like to feel a little bit hollow inside. Now, I'm not going to suggest all of your life is, is, is hollow, but, but, but maybe there's a piece of your life where you're saying, you know, I know, I know what you mean. Maybe you, were, um, you graduated with a degree and um, you can't find a job, you know, in that field. Or uh, you would never have thought, you know, I'm going to get cancer, you know, at, at midlife. Or I'm going to get fired mid-career. Or, uh, you know, I'm going to be, um, uh, feel isolated and alone. We don't plan those things. Like early us doesn't think future us is going to, to end up that way. Or uh, you don't think you're going to end up divorced twice by the age of 45. You don't think your kids are going to grow up and, and be addicted, you know. And, and, and so what happens is we expect one thing, but we got another. And so we feel duped. And we're, we're left with disappointment when things don't match up with what we think it should be. Now, so many people's lives in our culture, and, and um, I'm sure a lot of us today could say, you know, there's plenty of disappointment in my life. There's, there's areas where I feel like I've been duped, you know, maybe, not your whole life, but maybe pieces of your life, certain areas of your life, they just feel hollow. Now, enter the Easter story, and that's where we enter hope into our story, because if Easter is anything, Easter is a story of hope. David Aikman, he, he writes that hope is the, is the heart's deepest longing. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but it sounds like there's some, a lot of validity to that, that our, our hearts, they long uh, for, for hope, something to hold on to that's worth holding to. Now, 
hope itself is a funny thing, you know, if you think about it. Like, we use the word hope, uh, we kind of just throw that word around, you know, where we kind of misuse the meaning where, where it means the same as wish. I can say something to the effect of, um, I hope that the Dallas Cowboys will win a Super Bowl in my lifetime. Another one, right? All right? Man, second service was full of haters, but I like you guys, all right? But, all right, but so I can hope that, right? But I can also say, I wish the Dallas Cowboys will win a super, another Super Bowl in my lifetime. It means, it means the same thing, right? I hope, I wish. And we use those words often interchangeably as just as wishful thinking. You think of other ways we use the word hope. I hope that one day I will make a lot of money. You ever thought that? Well, I, I wish. That's what I mean. I wish I make. Or we could say, I hope uh, to get that job. Or I, I hope to have good health. I hope my, my kids grow up to be awesome. And, and all these things that we hope, 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 really it's just another way of saying we wish that this would happen. We wish that this would come true. But when it comes to the Christian faith, the word hope is more than just a wish. Like when it comes to our faith, hope is more, so much more than just a wish. Uh, Stuart McAllister, he writes, uh, it carry, uh, Christian hope, it carries the idea of a delayed but guaranteed fulfillment. It is the kind of assurance that something set in motion will, in due time, come to fruition. And so in the Christian faith, we see hope. It's grounded in, in, in who God is. It's, it's grounded in the very nature of God. It's grounded in what he has done. And it's grounded in the promises that he gives us through Jesus Christ. And so when we, when we find hope in Jesus, you know, it's not going to be hollow, but it's going to be uh, meaningful. It's going to have purpose. And, it's gonna, and we can take it to the bank because it's rooted in the very nature of God himself. Now, uh, I want to open up to the book of Colossians, all right, in Colossians chapter 2, and then if you have a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in just a minute. But here, the Apostle Paul wrote, writes both of these letters, this one to the church of, of Colossae, and um, he says <clears throat> in verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through, what, hollow and deceptive philosophy. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elementary spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So the New Testament was originally written in Greek, okay? So I want to teach you a Greek word this morning, and the word is kenos. Can you say kenos? Kenos, all right, kenos. And that is the word that's, used, uh, that's translated as hollow. Don't be taken captive by any hollow and deceptive philosophy, okay, kenos, and what it means is, is hollow, it means empty, like you open it up inside, there, there's nothing there, it means, it, it even means useless, so now we could argue that this isn't completely useless, but um, if you're expecting a solid chocolate bunny, man, it's pretty, this is pretty useless, so Paul was writing to Christians that, was, that were surrounded uh, by a culture that was all about the newest and latest ideas and philosophies. And not that philosophy is bad or wrong, but when, when you just go with what the culture and then you try to mix that in with a little bit of Jesus, oftentimes you get something less than what, who Jesus is. And so what Paul is saying is that, um, whoa, like put the brakes on that. 
There is so much out in, the, in your world that is making promises. There is so much out there that, that offers, that just seems to offer so much, but in reality offers very little. Hollow. It's, that's what life, he's saying, that's what life built on something other than Jesus Christ is like. It may look good. It may sound good. It may have some good parts to it. It may feel a little sexy, you know, but at its core, at the end of the day, it is hollow. It's hollow. It's chaos. It's empty. It becomes useless. And so enter the Easter story. And that's one of hope. The Easter story is a story of hope. You know, God uh, sent his son, Jesus, a, a, a fully God, fully man. And he walked this earth 2,000 years ago. God in the flesh. He lived among us. He taught like, like no one else had ever taught. He, he lived like no one else had ever lived. He loved like no one else had ever loved before. And he had a purpose like no one else had ever had before. And his purpose was to offer his life as a perfect sacrifice for our sins on the cross. Now, that, that's for you, and that's for me. I don't know if you noticed, but things are not going out the way that God had originally intended. You know, we've gotten pretty far off course from God's intention for our lives, and that grieves God. God is powerful. He's holy, and he's righteous, and he, he can't just tolerate our rejection of him. But what he does is something that's absolutely crazy. In fact, some might call it reckless. That he comes up with a way. He comes up with a plan. No other god or gods are, gonna, uh, are able to do this or could do this. But God sends Jesus to pay our price. His life in place of ours. And that's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper every week here at Christ Fellowship. The meal that we took earlier, communion, the bread, the juice, where we remember Jesus' sacrifice. That's why two days ago, we pause in, in, uh, on what we call Good Friday. Why, why would we call it Good Friday? You know, why would we celebrate that? Um, why is nailing an innocent man to a cross, brutally torturing him, shaming him, and murdering him, why would we call that good? We call it good because he did it for you, and he did it for me. That's why we call it good. And then... What happened to dead people happened to Jesus. He was buried. But then something else happened. His followers, that's early Sunday morning, uh, were going out to the tomb to uh, take care of some things. And, and they found the tomb opened and empty because he wasn't there. So the Apostle Paul, he writes in 1 Corinthians 15. He's talking a lot about this resurrection stuff. And he says this in verse uh, 3. He says, from what I received, I passed on uh, as of first importance. So he's saying, like, what I'm about to say is about to be important. Listen up. He says that Christ Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, that's his disciples. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom were still living, though some had fallen asleep. They died. Then he appeared to James, uh, then, to the, uh, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, Paul writes. 
as to one abnormally born. What's so crazy about this? Well, I mean, first of all, a guy died and he's not dead anymore. That's pretty crazy, right? But Paul is writing this like 15 years or so after the death and, and burial and resurrection of Jesus. And like, do you remember what you're doing 15 years ago? Like, you, you don't have to think very hard about it. You can probably remember what you're wearing, what music you're listening to, what people you're hanging out, where you lived. You can remember those details. It wasn't that long ago. I have, uh, my socks are probably older than that. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, and, and so he's writing this to uh, people and, and he says like, there were eyewitnesses to this event. They saw him dead, and then they saw him alive. He even, he even says there were five, Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time, and he, he verifies, say, look, most of these people are still alive. That was an invitation for his listeners, for his readers, for the church in Corinth. Go ask somebody. Go ask someone. There's plenty of people who saw and who experienced this Jesus event, which was so monumental that it changed everything for his disciples. Then he makes this one reference. Um, it's kind of vague and passed over. It says, then he appeared to James. I mean, that's easy to read right over and keep getting it. But here's the thing about James. James was the half-brother of Jesus. And we see a picture of him in the Gospels, and it's where uh, he was pretty skeptical of, his, of Jesus. Like, he's like, come on, Jesus, Jesus, you're talking a little bit crazy again. You need to come home. And it's like he wasn't really buying this whole Messiah motif that Jesus was laying out. And so James was a skeptic. He was not a believer until... He saw something. James was, became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. That was like where things started. Church, the Jerusalem church was, was it, you know? And uh, so James was the, like the pastor of that church. Why? Because he saw something. He experienced something. Okay? The risen Jesus. Then Paul gives a shout out to himself. And he says, and lastly, of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Paul, see, here's the thing about Paul. Paul was not about this Jesus life at all. He was on his way up the ladder as a good Pharisee, uh, the sect of uh, Judaism. He would have been a religious leader. He would have had power. He would have had, he would have had, uh, had his way. You know, He had anything he really needed, and he had uh, a, a very specific agenda against this Jesus movement and did everything in his power to snuff it out. He tried to stamp out this Jesus movement. But here's the thing, life was good for Paul just the way it was. But he saw something. The risen Jesus appeared to him. And it changed everything for him. He handed his life of success to what many around him would call a life of struggle and uh, of, of being alone and isolated and, and even tortured and even laid down his life so he could spread this Jesus message. And so Paul is arguing about this, the reality of resurrection, like, like our resurrection, but he's using uh, Jesus' resurrection to prove his point. And in verse 14, Paul writes this. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is what? It's useless. And your faith is it's useless. You know the, the verse I read earlier, Colossians 2a, it says, don't be taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophy. That word that's tr translated hollow is what? Kenos. 
Kenos, right? Uh, that uh, Kenos, well, guess what? It is the same word that Paul uses here twice. It's translated as useless, okay? So, like, if Christ has not been raised, then, then our preaching is chaos. It's, it's, it's hollow. It's empty. It's completely, it, it's useless. There's no purpose. There's no point. And guess what? Your faith is as well. And, and so, Jesus, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, all of this stuff, it's hollow. It's empty. And if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then, man, I'm wasting my time. And you're wasting your time here today. It's all one big hoax. And it's all useless. But Paul wasn't making the argument that anything was useless. He wasn't saying that. He was saying the exact opposite. He was saying, I've, I've hinged my faith on this Jesus event so much so that we, what Jesus says and what he does, we can take it to the bank. I'm laying my life down on the line for this, the resurrection of Jesus. It validates who he was. It validates his message. It validates his claim. It validates his identity. And it validates the, his cross and so for us, because of that, hope is rising. The, in verse 17, it says, If Christ had not been raised, then your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And, and those, uh, then those who have fallen asleep, that's died, then those who have died in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are of all people most to be pitied. So listen, our hope is rooted in something so much more than anything that this world can offer. And, it like if, and, and, and while you, you can compare all these things that we would call good, admirable, and even godly, and they still uh, don't provide the hope that we need to get through. Like, like if, if you're overwhelmed by debt and you fight, fight, fight to be debt-free, um, that's a good thing. But, but that's not going to uh, take care of uh, you being hollow. That's not going to cure you and bring you hope. If you, if you think being reunited with family or friends or lost loved ones is going to, is going to validate you, is going to, to fill you up and bring you hope, then that too one day will crumble. If you're going to, uh, if, if you're going to um, f find things in this world to fill you up, then you're always going to find yourself being disappointed and feeling duped. Now, momentary things can bring us happiness for a moment, Right? It does, they do. There's, it can provide us joy. Um, things, world, things of this world can be good and can be very okay. But real hope, the hope that we need in our life, the hope that we need in this world, is rooted in something so much more. And that's what Paul writes in verse 20. He says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And church, that's where we get, man, we get to rejoice in like this, uh, this idea of Christian hope. It's so much more than just wishful thinking. That there is a God who created us with purpose and, and who loves us and, and calls us to love him back and to live our lives for his glory. And, and one day we anticipate his coming back and, and us getting to join him. And we see that hope points us towards that day. Hope points us to heaven. Can you imagine Jesus' disciples, how confused they would have been when Jesus was executed? These, these guys spent three years, valuable years of their life, where this ragtag rabbi named Jesus comes on the scene and, and says, hey, come follow me. And they left their jobs. They left everything behind. 
and got up and they went and followed, spent three years of their life. And, and all for what? To see this guy end being uh, hung on a cross like a criminal? <laughs> when he dies, now what? What do they do? I I'm, I'm bet they're wishing that they hadn't just quit their jobs and walked off the site. They were fearful. They, they, were, they were lost. They didn't have a cause. They didn't have a purpose. They didn't know what was next. And, 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 and everything, uh, they gave up everything, and he dies. Now what? They went from being afraid to hiding out, laying under the radar, till one day they saw something, and it changed everything for them. And that's the good news about Jesus, is they went from being scared to being as bold as lions, uh, spreading the message of Jesus everywhere, even laying down their own lives for the cause. Because for them, hope, hope was real. It wasn't just hollow anymore. Because they seen the risen Jesus. And they knew, uh, they saw him ascend into heaven. And they got the promise that one day he's going to come back in the same way. And, and, and it's at this point, they start remembering the things that Jesus had said. The things that Jesus said years before, and they had no idea what it meant. When Jesus was like, I'm going to go, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And they're like, cool, how do we get there? And Jesus is like, well, you know. Like, okay, you know. And, and they had no idea what Jesus was talking about. He, he was going to heaven. And, 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 and one day you're going to join me there. It's going to be amazing. Now, as good as this world can be, like, I, I believe the, this world is good because God created it, you know. Um, we experience things like beauty. We experience things like love and family and friends, and, and we have good memories, we have joy, good food, all this stuff that, that can be good. But we, but we have to bear this in mind and con contrast it with the other side of life, which is brutal. And there's, and there's sickness and pain and, and hatred and terrorism and, and bad news all day long and, and, and the fact that none of us will escape death. But see, hope, real hope is rooted in our final destination. So we hope that because the one who rose from the dead said, and that we can take it to the bank. And when we live this life as if this life is all there is, there's not much hope in that. But God says that one day he's going to make everything new. And so we get to live this life uh, with the tension of the good and the bad, knowing that that's not our hope. Our hope is in something so much more, so much beyond anything that we experience here. Now, maybe life hasn't turned out for you the way you wish for. Maybe younger you thought things would be a whole lot different now. Maybe you thought you'd be different, but life can be cruel sometimes, and we can all probably agree on that. And see, things are, in this life are going to push us. They're going to pull us, and they're going to continue to squeeze and press us. And then one day, uh, if it's hollow, what we build our hope on, then it's going to look a whole lot like this. See, that indeed is hollow. You know? And, and that's what our, if our life is built on just something hollow, something that's not substantial, 
something that's just filling up the outside, making everything look good, then when, when stuff hits the fan, when, when stuff goes down, when life gets real and we're pressed and we're squeezed, uh, will we withstand all that? And I believe if we, if, we, if we stick with Jesus, then we can have real hope. That's solid. It's rock solid. It's not built on anything that can get crushed. You know, hope, real hope starts with trusting in Jesus. And, that, and that's for all of us, I think. And uh, all of us, um, uh, Timothy Keller uh, wrote this book, Reason for God. And he writes this. He says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all, <laughs> all he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. So I'll give you a pro tip real quick. When someone rises from the dead, trust what they said, okay? Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, because we, we don't see that. And so when Jesus rose from the dead, man, we, we are automatically are obligated to, to listen to those things he says. And that's the challenge for us today is to just, just simply trust in him for our hope. There's a trust in him for our hope. Now, maybe you're here today and you've been a Christ follower, follower for decades, and, um, and you've put your trust in him, and he's changed your life, and, and you can see fruit of that, and that's amazing, and that's awesome. But the temptation for us is to always start to put some pieces in place on our own, not that they're bad, not that they're evil, but we start to more and more so put our hope in other things because we want to look good, we want to keep up, we want to check the boxes, we want to fit in, and... And before we know it, we're starting to build this hollow shell. But we need to continue to stay rooted in our trust of Jesus. And that's what the resurrection does for us. Maybe you're here today and you've yet to put your faith in Jesus at all. You've yet to trust him at all. And and that's the invitation that that he gives us is is to trust me. Like, I know parts of your life are hollows because you've got nothing else to build it around. He's saying, build your life around me. And trust me, as, 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 as your Savior, the one and only way that you can make it back to God. Like, I'm, I'm glad that you're trying to get your life together and pretty and do the right things. That's okay. But if you build it around something hollow, it's not going to last when, when life happens. So believe in me and, and turn your life towards me. And then be baptized into my name. And so the hope we have is living. It's rock solid. It's something more, and, and just as Jesus will be raised, we have the promise that one day that we will be raised to, and we'll walk in a newness of life. Now, our faith isn't based on a person. Isn't, our faith isn't, isn't hollow. It's not based on a thing. It's based on a person. His name is Jesus. It is based on an event, the resurrection. And because of that, we can have solid Hope that brings joy. We get the promise of heaven. And church, we get to live out the hope right here. Hope is rising.